Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zola Africa Amka na Unai And a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, Raza and Shana Tasawa, Zambia's Edgar Lungu wins tight presidential election. Coalition talks to govern some of South Africa's key municipalities continue. And three days of national mourning begins in the DRC. In economics, Kenyan counties submit proposals for new pension scheme. And in sports news, Ugandan runner fails to reach 3,000 meter steeple chase final. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Zambia's Electoral Commission has declared the Patriotic Front leader Edgar Lungo president. He won 50.3% of the vote, avoiding a second round of voting with main rival Haki Ndihichilema. Patriotic Front Secretary General Davis Chama. Victory for the poor people. It's a victory for the transformation and development of our country. This victory is a victory of the people who love Zambia, who love the unity of our nation. This victory is for the unity of this country because we don't believe in tribalism. Meanwhile, police have been deployed to the southern part of Zambia following reports of riots by supporters of the main opposition, United Party for National Development, the UPND. The UPND, led by Haki Chilima, who polled 47.67% of the vote, served notice that its candidate was going to appeal the results of the poll. The party's lawyer told journalists that the ruling party and the electoral body colluded to rig the elections. Ten armed men have been detained by forces belonging to the UN mission in the Central African Republic, MINUSCA. The arrest follows a standoff of several hours between the peacekeepers and 35 heavily armed men traveling in a convoy of seven vehicles south of Subud. According to media reports, two of the detainees are warlords from the Muslim Seleka rebellion. The convoy exchanged fire with national security forces at several checkpoints, resulting in a number of deaths and injuries. Minuska was able to recover significant quantity of weapons and munitions. 
South Africa's Higher Education Minister Bladen Zimande says students should know by the end of this month if there will be fee increases for next year or not. Zimande briefed the media in Johannesburg following threats by the South African Union of students to shut down universities if fees are increased. This was prompted by the news that the Council for Higher Education has proposed a 6% hike for next year. Zimande has appealed for calm, saying a decision on fees will only be made following consultation process with various interested parties. The process of finalizing and being careful about deciding because as I have said at the end of the day it will be individual institutions but we want to work towards a common framework. Within the next week or two we should actually have, have, have arrived at a common understanding hopefully because it's important that there is certainty for everyone who is involved as to what is going to happen for 2017. And finally, it's exactly four years since 34 mine workers were killed during a confrontation with police in Marikana in South Africa's northwest province. Thousands of mine workers at Lonman had embarked on an unprotected industrial action. Ten more people, including mine security and police officers, were killed on the days preceding the August 16 tragedy in 2012. Itumeleng Khajane reports. Trade Union Amku is set to hold a commemorative event today at the infamous COP in Vonnerkop near Margana. The events are expected to start this morning with traditional performances and performances by other musical groups formed by mine workers. As this day approached, there were concerns raised that nothing has been done to change lives in Margana as the living conditions remain unchanged. The Northwest Provincial Government has not confirmed attendance, saying it was not invited, but political parties such as the EFF and the DA are expected to attend the event. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you, Anne. It's 807 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this August the 16th, the 229th day of 2016, with 137 days left in the year. Coalition talks to govern some of South Africa's key municipalities are at a critical stage as the deadline for the first council meeting looms. Parties are expected to announce final decisions this week. Both the ruling ANC and the opposition DA are working flat out to convince smaller parties to work with them to form governments, especially in three of Gauteng province's metros, Johannesburg, Tswane and Ekuruleni, as well as Mohale city municipalities. 
Both are working with the EFF that emerged the kingmakers to clinch a deal with them as the talks reach final stages. The SACP in Gauteng has labelled a possible DA and EFF coalition counter-revolutionary and has vowed to mobilise against it. Ndebo Mokobo has more. Almost two weeks after municipal elections, the battle for the control of key municipalities still rages on. The ANC and the DA hard at work to convince smaller parties to join them to form government. The SAPC has learned that both parties continue to meet with the EFF hoping to win their support to govern, especially the Gauteng metros. The Red Barrier are taking the offers of both parties to its central command team for a final decision. The team meets tonight, but it has postponed making an announcement to Wednesday, as they will be marking the Marikana commemorations. EFF spokesperson Buisen Ndlozi. The talks are ongoing with uh, everybody that has approached us, which includes the ANC, the DA, and other opposition parties such as the IFP. We are talking to everybody. The EFF will pronounce on its uh, approach on coalition on Wednesday. But it seems any coalition between the EFF and the DA will not go down well with some within the ANC Alliance partners. The SACP in Gauteng, where three metros and one municipality, Mohali City, are still up for grabs, is against the coming together of the DA and the EFF. They've threatened to wage what they call consistent mass struggles against the union. Provincial Secretary Jacob Mamabolo says both parties differ ideologically and their coalition could compound the suffering of the poor and the working class. The main point to emphasize for us about the character of the EFF is that it is certainly voted for by the poor and the working class. And it is that working class vote that we are saying cannot be delivered on a silver platter to the historic enemies of our people. So it will draw the line between the EFF that projects itself as a progressive organization and the real EFF that is an extension of imperialism and apartheid past. The working class, the ordinary people, are going to suffer, including those that voted for the EFF. Mama Bolo says those who voted for the EFF chose the party as opposed to the DA. He warns that if the EFF works with the DA, it will follow in the footsteps of the independent Democrats led by Patricia Dilil and Ahang SA founded by human rights activist Mampele Rampele. Whilst they might have not voted for the ANC, but there's no doubt that they do not want the DA. That's why they look for what they perceived to be an alternative. But I think the EFF is on the verge of again completely changing the political landscape because it can just follow the independent Democrats, it can just follow Ahang, it can implode itself internally if it link with British and US imperialism represented by the DA. That is the difference between the working class vote and what the EFF purport to be. Individual leaders will remain hanging on those positions given to them by the DA, but the organization will implode and it will die never to rise again. But the EFF's Mbuisen Entlozi says the SACP's accession is laughable. As he put it, the party that is supposed to be the vanguard of the working class stood by when workers in Marikana were killed by imperialist forces. The SACP misdiagnosed the political situation. It is the gospel truth that there is no ideological and policy difference uh, between the African National Congress and majority of the opposition parties, in particular the DA, because they all believe in the National Development Plan, which guards the interests of white supremacists in South Africa.
They are in bed with the ANC government, which killed workers in Marikana. So that is the ideological inferiority complex that the SACP suffers from. That year has also defended a possible coalition government with the EFF saying it's workable. Chairperson of its federal executive, James Self, says although both parties are ideologically different, they have similar approach on how to improve the living conditions of ordinary South Africans who did not receive quality services while the ANC governed their municipalities. In point of fact, both the EFF and the DA have at the centre of their manifesto the imperative to create jobs, to improve services and to rid the country of corruption. And we believe that on those issues alone, there is sufficient commonality for our being able to work together to deliver those services to the poorest of the poor and in a much more efficient way than the last administration has been able to do. Similar threats have been made by other municipalities in the past and we have lived through that. Most parties have kept the details of their negotiations as a closely guarded secret. The first deadline for the 27 hung municipalities to call council meeting is this Friday, exactly 14 days after the announcement of the election results. I am Debo Mokobo in Johannesburg. Zambia's President Edgar Lungu has been re-elected into office as the opposition prepares to contest the results. The Electoral Commission declared the Patriotic Front leader president yesterday. He won 50.3% of the vote, avoiding a second round of voting with main rival Hakainde Hichelema. Shingai has more from Lusaka. Four days after Zambians went to the polls, the result of the presidential vote is out. I therefore declare... In the final moments of a tightly fought race, President Edgar Lungu pulled away from his rival, polling over 1,860,000 votes against Hakainde Hichilema's 1,760,000. The election results center erupted into celebration of champagne, song and dance. Outside the center, the subdued streets of Lusaka were filled with cheers of the president's supporters. Patriotic Front Secretary General Davis Chama. Victory for the poor people. It's a victory for the transformation and development of our country. This victory is a victory of the people who love Zambia, who love the unity of our nation. This victory is for the unity of this country because we don't believe in tribalism. But it's not over for the parties which lost the presidential election, explains a representative from the United Party for National Development. The process of petitioning these results, because we are aware of the various violations of the law. There are various cases of rigging. There are various cases of manipulating the votes that have been cast. We brought to the attention of the Electoral Commission where voter vote ballot papers have been stuffed. Other opposition parties are also crying foul. This is evidence. The unit votes have been reduced. The court action is likely to see a delay in the inauguration of the president-elect. I'm Shingai Nyoka in Lusaka. Now let's go back in time to today in the year 2012, which is exactly four years ago. South African police opened fire, killing 34 striking mine workers at the Marigan, at Marigana in the country's northwest province. The protesting miners were demanding a wage increase at the Lonman Platinum Mine. Today in history in the year 2012. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, Africa.
Tanganyika na Ungai. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Warring leaders in Mozambique have requested South Africa to help find a solution to the low-level civil war underway in that country. International Relations Minister Maite Nguanamashabane spoke about some of the trouble hotspots in the region and the continent. They range from Mozambique to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the November elections are in the balance and there has been a flare-up of violence in the country's troubled eastern region. Busichimombe reports. As many as six people are reported killed in the ongoing conflict between Mozambique's government forces and Renamo rebels, hundreds of people have fled to neighboring countries, including Zimbabwe. What began as skirmishes in 2013 between the ruling Frelimo government and the opposition Renamo led by Alfonso Dlagama intensified following the country's 2014 elections, which Renamo believes were stolen. The two parties have a long history of turmoil following a 16-year civil war which ended in 1992. As concern rises, International Relations Minister Maite Nguanamashabane says there are indications by both parties that they don't want the situation to degenerate further. They've since formed a, a committee of, if you like, a way in which they could engage with Renamo. And uh, they have also approached our president to be part of uh, that uh, committee. They have not in earnest started with the work, but they've had the first uh, meeting just of finding each other on how to move forward. The Democratic Republic of Congo is also again a worry. This past weekend, over 40 people were killed in the east, with government blaming the attack on the Allied Democratic Forces ADF, an armed group of Ugandan origin which has been operating in the region for 40 years. President Joseph Kabila has not announced the election's calendar, seen as an attempt to stall the poll, scheduled for November this year, and this has worsened the internal situation. The government has rejected fresh demands from the opposition that elections be held, and President Kabila stepped down by December 20. Nkwanama Shabane says the international community, including South Africa, must help by keeping dialogue alive amongst the countries of the region. Can we focus on what have we done meaning the Great Lakes, the whole of the continent of Africa, and the international community, in helping them to conclude this dialogue process. And we don't leave them on their own. Because if we do, just replacing him with another leader, it's not a solution by itself. So if our, the focus of the international community is just on President Kabila, we're going nowhere slowly. Pretoria has again urged the leaders of South Sudan to put their people first. The country is in turmoil, with hundreds of civilians dying and many more displaced. The trouble stems from the fighting between forces loyal to President Salva Kiir and his former deputy Rick Mashar and those loyal to him. Despite a peace deal signed a year ago and the formation of a coalition government in April this year, peace is proving elusive despite regional and continental efforts. Guanama Shabane says support must continue to be given to the world's youngest nation. There is no journey where people fight and the following day they have trust and, you know, they can even have, uh, beyond, go beyond having lunch together. It's, it's, you build on it and that's why 
We haven't left things on their own. In support of IGAD, there's a President Mukhaya there, there's a President Konara there, there's a Vice President Ramaphosa. Just to continue making them remember that a leader leads from the front and a leader does not think of self. On a more optimistic note, the minister has spoken of successes achieved within the BRICS grouping of nations. In less than two years, we now have a bank functional, which has even uh, announced the first tranche of uh, loans to all BRICS member states. The first since the formation of the World Bank. Secondly, that as we go to Goa in India now, which will be hosting uh, the BRICS summit, we are focusing on new smart cities concept. So each country has to present a smart city present. So BRICS is doing very well on developmental projects. Within the region, Kwana Mashabane says the country is looking forward to the SADC Heads of State Summit at the end of this month, where discussions on industrialization and trade will continue. And Swaziland's King Mswati III will take up the reins of the organization from Botswana President Ian Krama. That report by Busi Chimombe. Three days of national mourning has started yesterday in the Democratic Republic of Congo after a Saturday night's killing of at least 36 people in Beni. The Congolese government has condemned the incident and called on the international community to assist in the volatile eastern DRC. Jean-Noel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The massacre in which at least 36 people have been killed in Rwangoma in the territory of Beni brings it to more than 600 the number of people who have been killed in the area since 2014. This country's authorities attribute the attacks to the Ugandan rebels of allied democratic forces, a very sad situation that occurred although the government has previously sought to alert the world to the jihadist threat here, according to the government spokesperson Lambert Mende. We have uh, lost 22 men and uh, 14 women in this attack that took something like 30 minutes only. We have already warned the international community many times during the ICGRL meeting about uh, the nature of that uh, terrorist offensive against our country, telling them often that those are jihadists that nobody came uh, to give us assistance and uh, the Congolese army is still the only one caring for that situation. We think that uh, the consequences of uh, this indifference from the international community is something very sad because the consequences of this uh, terrorist action are the same than the one we are witnessing in Nigeria, in Cameroon, in Mali and even in Belgium, in France or United States. So why are people remaining indifferent towards the jihadist threat against the Democratic Republic of the Congo? 
we think that it is a global threat that must be taken as such. The Allied Democratic Forces, well known as ADF rebels, have been accused of human rights abuses in the eastern DRC since more than two decades now. The National Army believes last Saturday's massacre has been committed in revenge for military operations in the area. According to the spokesperson of the Armed Forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo, FARDC, the massacre has been committed after the Allied Democratic Forces were seriously defeated by the National Army. General Richard Kasonga. Our goal is zero ADF on the Congolese territory, and since we have discovered and uh, destroyed their underground homes, we are going to boost and intensify deeply our operations so that we can reach that goal, zero ADF on the Congolese territory. Both the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the international community have done efforts for security in the area, but really, the Beni territory has remained under violence since the last three years. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Join prominent leaders in business and government at the top women conference as they unveil some of the most successful stories and strategies implemented around the empowerment of women in Africa. Conference will focus on how we can implement 50-50 gender parity by 2030. This takes place on August 17 and 18 at the Empress Palace in Johannesburg, South Africa. The conference brings together decision makers and leaders who are serious about delivering results. Are you one of them? If you are, then book now by visiting www.topwomenconference.co.za. That address again, www.topwomenconference.co.za. Code Channel Africa to get your free copy of Top Women in Business and Government Publication. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Give her freedom and equality, she's got the right to be. Woman got the right to be. Let's go back in time to today in 1978. James Earl Ray, convicted assassin of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., told a Capitol Hill hearing he did not commit the crime, saying he'd been set up by a mysterious man called Raoul. That was today in history in the year 1978. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The widow of former South African President Nelson Mandela and former founder of the Grasa Machel Foundation, Grasa Machel, says there is an urgent need to reform education systems on the continent. She was a guest speaker at the Nippard Business Foundation annual general meeting in Santon, north of Johannesburg. She says there is a huge mismatch between skills needed in the private sector and what the education system are producing, and there is an urgent need to address this challenge. Channel Africa's Ntanta Matlangu reports. 
One of Africa's most celebrated development and humanitarian icons and patron of the Nepad Business Foundation, Grasa Machel, delivered the keynote address at the meeting held under the theme Transformative Leadership by African Governments, Businesses and Citizens. The meeting focused on Africa's long-term investment into education and skilling the next generation in order to equip them with the tools necessary to achieve the 50-year targets set by the African Union's Agenda 2063. Addressing the gathering, Michelle said there's an urgent need to invest in science and social justice projects on the continent. We are very much left behind in terms of, uh, one, to catch up with the science, let alone generate knowledge, to produce knowledge. And we need to make this a core of our national pact in every single country. How do we, on the basis of what we have, it doesn't matter how fragile it is, but how are we going to grow that we produce knowledge ourselves? We are not only to absorb what others develop. And it was given the example that even when you use the top, top, top of science, you have to take it into account the reality of the continent itself. But the knowledge which is in the hands of people already, which has to be used and to be elevated to integrate the modern system of knowledge. And we have to invest in research. And you know how many of our countries are investing in research. The agreements of the minimum which has to be done. You cannot dream of having society which is developed without a solid knowledge base. And it has to be part of the agenda in accountability, as I was saying, so that even governments are expected to make decisions on the basis of She also appealed to the media, saying they have a huge role to play in the portrayal of issues on the continent. I would like to mention media. It is a powerful tool of uh, how you mold the perceptions and the understanding, modern perceptions, the understanding of what the nation is, what our continent is. So you need to have a balance between informing, educating, and of course, also making it some sort of interesting for the public. But most of our media, I'm not saying all, please look at some newspapers carefully. In a period of a month, what are the headlines? And you look at the, I'm not saying we don't have crime. I'm not saying we don't have scandals. But we have much more than that. And it doesn't come clear as a society which has good and bad. It is as if we are only bad. And then it builds a percept- understanding of ourselves as a failed societies. We are not failed societies. We have huge challenges, but we have great things happening. But they don't come across in a balanced way in what the media... And I'm not talking of South African media. I'm talking of African media. That was the widow of former South African President Nelson Mandela, Krasa Michelle. She was speaking at the Nepad Business Foundation Annual General Meeting. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tlantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.30 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you in the headlines. Zambian President Edgar Lungu has been re-elected into office as the opposition prepares to contest the results. South Africa marks the fourth anniversary of the killing of 34 mine workers by police during a strike for better wages and the killing of 10 children in an airstrike on a school in northern Yemen has been condemned by the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon. Those are the stories making headlines. Hello. Floods in Sudan have reportedly killed more than a dozen people and left more than a hundred injured. Meanwhile, thousands of houses have been destroyed and several villages submerged after flooding triggered by torrential rain. The Sudanese Red Crescent Society has mobilized 1,300 volunteers from all its branches to evacuate flood victims, offer first aid services and carry out assessments in the affected areas. For an update on the situation, we are now joined on the line by Imad Abdul Rahim, Director of Programs for the Sudanese Red Crescent. Imad, good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Okay, uh, good morning. Thank you very much. Now, Imad... There are conflicting reports regarding the number of people who have died. Can you confirm the exact figure as we speak? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, actually, um, worth mentioning that uh, till now, since the beginning of this uh, rain season and flood, which started earlier, uh, almost about 32,000 families have been affected in almost 13 states of the country out of the 18 countries, out of the 18 uh, uh, state of the country. And um, uh, actually, we, we have a, a task force, a lot of task force, which confirmed this number. And also, um, this task force composed of the government, in addition to UN, OSHA, and the Sudan Resident Society, and other relevant uh, uh, organizations. So the number of the people uh, till now uh, confirmed by this uh, task force is, is, is about 100, 114 people who, who, who died due to the, maybe sometimes due to the electricity, due to the water. Some people maybe their home, the, the roof uh, dropped on, on, on the people. And, and that is, this is the number confirmed. And um, yeah. yeah now, how would you describe the situation and the impact of the flooding? Yeah, I think the, the impact, as I, as I earlier mentioned, one that the affected about almost 32,000 families, and uh, some people maybe they lost their uh, uh, their houses totally, and uh, they need actually an uh, intervention stem of non-food items and uh, food also in addition to uh, health uh, interventions uh, like uh, just for instance, like in in, in Hamish Korev in Kassel State. Actually, the water system was collapsed, actually. The boreholes and the service well, and also the system which brings the water from the dam nearby the, the area also was collapsed totally due to this. Uh, this is an example of one of, of the states. Now, with that example, uh, Imad, can you take us through the response operations as we currently understand that the National Red Crescent Society is currently the main humanitarian actor as we speak. 
Take us through the the, yes. the response operations. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, yes. Actually, um, the uh, Sudanese Rescue Society till now, um, as a response, reached uh, almost about 3,772 families with non-food items and also food. And also, in addition to the evacuation operations, providing our volunteers, providing the first aid services, evacuating the people, and also doing vector control, cleaning campaigns, and awareness, hygiene awareness to the affected population in, in the areas, and also sucking the, the, the uh, stagnant water. And we mobilized almost till now up 2,500 volunteers in, in, in our in intervention. This is the intervention from outside. And also there are some interventions from other, uh, maybe the Humanitarian Aid Commission and other also uh, organizations. But uh, as far as SRCS, Sudan Existence Society, we have almost reached about 3,772 families in the most affected, uh, maybe, uh, states. Now, there have been warnings that the floods may last until November. What are the concerns for vulnerable people? Um, sorry again, please. There have been continued warnings um, that the floods may last up until November. What are the concerns for vulnerable people? And have the, these warnings been confirmed? Have they been... Um, yes, actually, according to the latest, uh, maybe this Humanitarian uh, Aid Commission, they have regular uh, blotting. And it is really confirmed that it will continue according to the forecast according to the level of the rivers, uh, the Blue Nile, also and the rains in Ethiopia, that will continue. And now the, the people are uh, on alert. Our volunteers, together with the civil defense, they are uh, in different points. They are just uh, raising the awareness of the people, and also they are uh, observing the rivers uh, level. And they are also intervening in, in doing some terraces, in uh, mobilizing the people themselves to participate also in the trying to uh, avoid the water coming inside. Despite this also in the uh, United States, already there are some uh, villages merged with, with the uh, Blue Nile waters now. But now, what's the... Sorry, Imad, what's the reaction or response, if any, from the Sudanese government? Have you had any assistance? All the people on the ground who have been affected, have they had any assistance from government? Yes, yes, the Maternal Aid Commission already intervened in also providing non-food items and some food items, and also the local, uh, uh, maybe, authorities at the state of level, they have their own, uh, maybe, interventions. And uh, in addition to that, they are also killing the people alert uh, by raising the awareness. And the civil defense, which is actually the national civil defense, uh, the higher civil defense is responsible also for this evacuation together with the Sudanese Society. They are also ready and observing the level and they are also filling the empty sacks with the sand to make some terraces and, and apartments along alongside the, the 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 risk areas. They know the, the risk maps uh, alongside the White Nile, the Blue Nile and the River Nile and they're trying to make mobilize the people and, and, and help them in, in this uh, in this uh, regard.
Now, looking at looking forward to um, the flooding that is set to the warnings that have been given with regards to the floods that may last up until November, what's the response or the reaction from the people on the ground, from the Sudanese people who need to be evacuated, who need to come up with contingency plans? What's the, the way forward if and when this does happen? What are the contingency measures put in place? I think there are, there are um, regarding the, 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 the local level, there are some also through our branches actually to mobilize the people to make the, already they started the contingency planning before the rainy season, maybe in May and April. And uh, this is why now they are, the people are, for instance, the people are uh, in the, uh, especially the people who are at risk now, uh, the people are living in the island. So they start maybe uh, creating them for, for, for higher areas. And their response, and they themselves they have, uh, and also we had an experience uh, in the past with Tuti Island, which is famous. The people are mobilized themselves; they have their own uh, mechanisms to follow up and to uh, observe the the Nile, and they have shift from the people themselves, the community. They are just uh, trying to get uh, whenever there is uh, maybe any risk, they start. Uh, maybe uh, mobilizing the others. They have shifts. Uh, the whole community will start going for, for, for impacting the, the water. Imad, we have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Imad Abdul Rahim, Director of Programs for the Sudanese Red Crescent. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, it's 8.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Hundreds of children with disabilities in Malawi are attending the first ever national conference to see how best to promote disability inclusion through role modeling in the country. These children have hearing, seeing, walking and albinism problems. The conference, which has drawn children from different parts of Malawi, comes amid increased cases of killings and abductions of persons with albinism. George Mango reports from Kasungu. This is the first ever national conference to be convened for children with various disabilities. And the children who are within the age bracket of 4 and 17 are being crewed in their role as citizens through various role models present. World Vision, a charitable and humanitarian organization, has brought the children together so they share experiences and what different stakeholders are doing to ensure that their health, education and physical nature is safeguarded. Delegates are in turn expected to chart the way forward in dealing with discrimination and stigma. By the end of two days or so, children are expected to be equipped with skills on how to report incidents they perceive sensitive with regards to the current killings and abductions. Director of Communications, Child for Justice and Protection from World Vision, Naile Salima, Told the gathering that guest speakers who have been drawn from different areas are expected to present their life examples as to how they have excelled in life by making what people think inabilities 
to be abilities. If we have children that have disabilities, let us give the children opportunities, opportunities to education, so that they learn together with the other children and so that they can progress in life. Yeah, people, children with disabilities do not need our pity. They need to be given opportunities. And that is the message that we're bringing across Malawi. Give children with disabilities a chance. Give them the space to participate. Give them the space to talk about uh, what they aspire to be. Give them the, the, them the space to be what they can be in life. The national conference is taking place in Kasungu, a district based in the central region of Malawi, where issues of killings and abductions were also reported. In the district, which also borders Malawi and Zambia on the western side, one child and a lady with albinism were killed. The assailants are still on remand. Statistics show that 23 persons with albinism have been killed and 67 others reportedly missing in Malawi. The incidents of killings and abductions came into the limelight through the media in 2014, very months after Tanzania had reported the same in their country. United Nations has since warned that Malawi's estimated 10,000 Arbinos face extinction if they continue to be murdered for their body parts. But government remains upbeat about dealing with the challenge. Chief Disability and Awareness Officer in the Minister of Gender, Juliana Mabangwe, held the initiative by World Vision to organize the conference, which to some extent will also build the educational self-confidence in the children. Mabangwe said the conference has come at the right time when government has also introduced a life imprisonment sentence for all attackers or killers of persons with albinism. Most of the times people when they look at the children with disabilities they take them as uh, maybe useless people, they think they cannot perform, they perceive them as dull people, they forget that the Children with disabilities, they, they, they can have limitations, yes, but they have capabilities in one way or the other. As a government, I would like to urge all concerned parties to ensure that they, they take uh, good care of ch ch children with disabilities. They, they, they should empower them. They should actually understand that if they give them a chance to get educated, and if they give them a chance to participate in all activities, these children in the future, they'll be able to stand on their own and they'll be self-independent. Recently, a row broke out between advocates of death penalty for killers of persons with urbanism and human rights activists. Activists think it is against human rights norms to kill no matter how grave the crime one has committed. The incumbent president, Peter Mutarika, Likewise, ex-leaders have not endorsed the death penalty, saying it contravenes human rights. Currently, police and human rights organizations are still conducting district awareness campaigns that are aimed at mitigating killings and abductions of persons with albinism. While more suspects have been convicted, what remains unclear is that bonds of persons with albinism can make one to become rich. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Kasungu, Malawi. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhogo.
thanks banungile Zambia's beef production company, Zambeef Products, is set to restore its Zamhatch and Zamchik businesses to full Zambian ownership through a 23 million US dollar cash buyback of shares from a South African joint venture partner. Zambia's largest food processor and retailer has raised $65 million in new capital in order to take full ownership of the subsidiaries. The transaction will also lessen Zambia's exposure to exchange rate fluctuations. South Africa's troubled economy, state-owned enterprises and students' threat to shut down universities are expected to again come under the spotlight when the Cabinet Conference gets underway on Tuesday. The conference is a mid-term review of government performance. The ANC's poor performance at the polls has intensified pressure on government to address the crises facing the country. Ndebu Mugwabo reports. Six months after the last Lekotla, very little good news to report on. There's been no load shedding for a year, but the country narrowly escaped being downgraded to junk status. The economic growth was revised downwards to 0.6% and unemployment spiraled to record levels. Government will once again have to deal with the tertiary funding crisis as students again demand a 0% increase to tuition. But National Treasury says it is not budgeted for, while the ANC NEC called on government to hold off on increasing fees for 2017 and to bring stability and policy certainty in state-owned entities like the SAPC, ESCOM and SAA. Submitted a proposal to the Retirement Benefits Authority seeking to adopt a new pension scheme for the workers. Sita Zuma reports. We apologize for now sound there. It should be available in the next hour. Ghana's Institute for Energy Security has projected a further drop in fuel prices for the second pricing window for this month. According to RES, market conditions are favorable for diesel and petrol prices to drop beyond 1.33% and 1.28% recorded respectively in the first August pricing window. The Institute believes that there is enough positive momentum and fundamental justification to move the prices of petrol and diesel lower on the local market. Namibia's communications regulator has consulted with industry players on its intention to introduce a new plan for using and handling radio frequencies. The Communications Regulatory Authority of Namibia intends to replace the current spectrum band plan published in May 2013 in line with international conventions. The original strategy was published in accordance with the final act of World Radio Communication Conference, which was held in Geneva, Switzerland, in 2012. Indicators at the Sawa on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming live to you from a very cold South Africa. The US dollar trades at 13.39 in South Africa, 10.24 in Botswana, and then it's also at 10.41 in Zambia. 7.7 to the British pound, 8.9 euro. Gold, $1,345. Platinum, $1,122 per ounce. Brand crude, $48.05 a barrel. Channel 802. 
on Audio Bouquet, DSTV. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figi Lilingwati. First up in our sports update, it's athletics. Ugandan long-distance runner Benjamin Kiblagad was unsuccessful in his bid to reach the final of the 3,000-meter steeplechase event at the Rio Olympics in Brazil. A 27-year-old finished sixth in his heat and the 19th overall in 8 minutes 30.76 seconds. The final will take place on Wednesday. This is his third Olympics and he finished ninth at the Beijing Olympics in Brazil and sixth at the London Games four years ago. He says the race was difficult for him due to the hot conditions. Uh, the race for me was a little bit tough because of searching was too, it was too much. It's too hot for me. Yeah, I ran 8 at the, the winner win with 8.25. It's really good. Really good for me because it's my third Olympic. Yeah. I'm excited. This one is a little bit uh, challenging because of the climate. It's not the same with the London. London was a little bit cool. I didn't perform well because at the finals, uh, I, I fall down. Saudi of Algeria also did not reach the final after he was disqualified for a false start in his heat. He says he has learned a harsh lesson in his first Olympics. Hi, today's. The race is difficult, it's very, very difficult. But uh, I, this is uh, the, the one of me, Olympic Games. So I do a good race. But uh, in the in future, inshallah, in future, I do a, a good career. This first Olympic for me. So it's very, very difficult. And South Africa's LJ Fansail qualified for the semifinals last night after finishing second. In hit six behind Kenyans Haron Kowech with a time of 49.12 seconds. Competing in his third Olympics, Fansel says he could still feel the heat from Wade van Nikker's race, having to race from line eight. Well, now I'm very satisfied to go through to the next round. Uh, it's very hot outside. I had to cut my warm-up uh, by half. It's, it's very, very hot, especially in the tents where our fissure beds are. And uh, line eight is still hot. From uh, Wade's race last night, I can still feel the atmosphere in late eight, and it's what a fantastic competition he ran last night. Yeah, I just uh, pray for God just to to uh, make me recover fast before tomorrow night, and I just uh, did some uh, visual preparation for tomorrow night. Fansail says pacing himself to reach the finals was an important factor, but will have to get through the semi-final that will take place later today. Well, I just tried to run my own race. As you see, I, I started for the first 300. I was about the second day of the rest. Then coach came between the last two hurdles. He came next to me and I just left and I knew. Second place also fine. Um, I don't want to race myself in the first round flat box. And my goal was just to go through to the semis. Ah, oh, I just try my best. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not easy. Uh, that's my main focus, to make the final. So, uh, well, it all happens uh, 
we'll all, it's all must come together tomorrow in the same as everything must come together. And lastly, with rugby news, Springbok utility back Francois Huchard could be withdrawn from the Springbok squad due to a knee injury. Huchard apparently suffered a knee injury while on duty for the national men's sevens team at the Rio Olympic Games and was sent for a scan in Nelspreet. Springbok coach Alster Kutsi confirmed that Huchard had gone for scans and that they are awaiting the result ahead of the Castle Laga Rugby Championship test against Argentina at the weekend. That's your sport news. This hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Zambia's Edgar Lungu wins tight presidential election. Coalition talks to govern some of South Africa's key municipalities continue. And three days of national mourning begins in the DRC. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Makadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.ca.za or tweet us at Africa or send an SMS at 277-969-57930. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Muzat with a song titled The Party After. Do that